The top ten things that people most fear. I'm not going to read you the whole list, but among them is public speaking. So there you are. Uh, one of my, my favorites, of course, is uh, claustrophobia, fear of small places. Everybody has that. Uh, statistics say that everybody has a little bit of that. It just depends on how long you're in that tight spot. Uh, some of you have been in tight spots before, haven't you? You can get claustrophobic there, too, even though there's no walls uh, closing in on you. Uh, fear of mice is present. There's a lot of different phobias that are named that as well. There's uh, uh, sinophobia, which is fear of dogs. I'm a veterinarian. I know all about that. I'm not really afraid of dogs, but cataphobia? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that gets right to me, to say the least. Um, another one is misophobia, an intense fear of germs, uh, dirt, and other contaminants. I think that's a, the source of uh, uh, Michael's white-gloved hand, you remember, the famous entertainer with that white glove. I, I'm told it's because he walked into homes uh, that weren't his and would just kind of run his finger around the edge of the dust. Any of you do that? Uh, does your fear of germs and bugs and dirt go that far? I hope not. Well, don't come to my house if that's, <laughs> if that's the case. Um, There's an interesting promise given to believers in John chapter 14, verse 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I don't give to you like the world gives. It's not not peace like the world promises. Uh, So don't let your hearts be troubled and and, uh, don't be afraid. Uh, The Old Testament passages uh, of Scripture are replete with... uh, passages about hard times coming, uh, either for the nation Israel or for other nations uh, surrounding them at that uh, point in time when, they, when these uh, prophets wrote. Jeremiah wrote long before many of these things happened, and then they did happen, and we know of him as a true prophet at that point in time. Uh, but uh, there's uh, several passages in Jeremiah where uh, it reads about abject terror, terror coming on. And I don't know if any of you have felt terror before. Any of you have chased by a grizzly bear? Uh, you might have a feeling of what that, what that might be. It can be a paralyzing kind of situation, to say the least. Um, Jeremiah talks about that often. Isaiah talks about um, the earth is going to, uh, God is going to lay waste to the earth uh, as well. Uh, We're talking about fear this morning, and so I'm trying to engender a little bit of that in you as we go along, but I don't want that to be the end result, and I hope hope it changes to hope as we we go through this message. But Isaiah wrote that the the Lord is going to lay waste the earth, and I think of our our profound uh, attention to... uh, what people say is happening in, in our world around is global warming, glaciers melting, uh, icebergs floating around interrupting your cruise vacation. Um, and some people don't go on cruises because they're afraid there's going to be an iceberg, even though they're going to the Caribbean. Uh, they're a little bit afraid of this kind of thing, and you can usually see those things, find them ahead of time uh, with today's techniques. Um, chemical uh, pollution, of course, is, is something that's uh, oftentimes we're conscious about. 
Some of you may have grown up around Yellowstone, and you know the water there tastes a little bit like sulfur uh, from time to time. Not an unusual phenomenon, and, and people got really concerned about that for a while. Uh, and maybe they're not as concerned about it today, I don't know, but there's so many fears in the world today. In the book of Revelation, uh, the last book of the Bible. So this goes from the, from the front all the way to the last. In the front of the Bible, we have sin, and it's cause, causing the whole earth to groan under the burden that's provided uh, by sin, by going our way rather than going God's way. The book of Revelation speaks of ugly, festering sores. Who wants to read about that kind of stuff? That's one of the bold judgments. It goes on in the end times. Any of you heard about the end times? Uh, there's a few of you that have uh, actually studied that kind of phenomenon and gotten perhaps even distracted by it, uh, even perhaps paralyzed by it, wondering what's going to happen next and is this the time? Is this the time that the Lord's going to return? Um, what Jesus said about the end times was that it starts now. That's what he said, and it goes until I come again. And uh, the time of his coming again, there's going to be some things that begin to take place. And many of us have thought that the things that we're afraid of today, whether it's physical, germs, viruses, whether it's um, environmental, or whether it's mental, pressure, emotional changes, how many of the commercials on TV now have to do with your mental health? There's many more than there ever have been, suffice it to say. And uh, we worry about those kinds of things. We worry about a lot of different things. We worry about worrying. And oftentimes, uh, that's what we end up doing. Matthew chapter 24, uh, we're going to look at. Uh, and uh, it's... Uh, it goes, goes like this. Just read it on, on the screen up here. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And so Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. During Jesus' time, there were probably 50 other uh, people that claimed to be the Messiah. And so he's, he's talking about a reality. There's people today that claim to be God's person on earth. And be careful that no one deceives you. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. This stuff is going to happen. Famines and earthquakes, wars, rumors of wars. It sounds a little bit like today, doesn't it? It is like today. And this is what Jesus is talking about. And these things will increase. Will they get worse? I think yes. But how about our fear of these things? Um, I had uh, one of my daughters came to me just uh, as she uh, was married and said, I, my husband and I are talking about kids. Is it a good thing to bring kids into this world? This world is a hard place. I mean, we're living in the United States, right? We have it perhaps better than any place on earth. 
safer than any place on earth that I know of at this point. And yet, should we bring kids into this kind of situation? There's so much disagreement. There's so much battle that goes on person to person, politician to politician. It just goes on and on, and it consumes our time, and it consumes everything that we think about. Well, why must these things happen? And I think it has to do with what God's purpose is for us. The question that you need to ask yourself is, would I like to fit in with God's purpose for me? If he has a purpose for me, would I like to know what that is? Would I like to fit into it? Well, take a look at this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Um, and, and let's uh, read through it. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. You're going to hear that word comfort several times here. And the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we're distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces something in you, patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. Patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. God has purpose in this environment in which you and I all live today at this time in history. Purpose for the disagreements, the wars, the battles, the rumors of wars and battles. Purpose in chemical pollution. Purpose in allowing things, uh, allowing whole countries to catch on fire. I'm thinking of Canada at the moment. Allowing uh, these things to happen. And we look at those things and we're either afraid or we recognize that God has something in there for you and I to do. What's God's purpose in doing this? Well, in the case of this particular passage, to comfort others. You can't comfort others as well unless you've been through the similar things. Do you remember that uh, somebody coming up to you and saying, oh man, I, I know how you feel. And the common retort is, you don't have a clue what I feel. But God brings us through situations so that we will know what's going on in other people's hearts and minds. What's happening in their emotional life? Are they becoming afraid like I became afraid? And what comforted me in that particular situation? And this is the, the passage that uh, Paul writes about in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Then in, in uh, Romans chapter 5 verse 1, we find more purpose uh, developed. And so we'll look at that passage. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. 
Not only so, but we glory in our suffering. Just lock up the brakes, back up the truck. Glory in our sufferings? When's the last time you did that? Why in the world would you glory in your sufferings? There's a reason. There's a particular point that God is trying to make, and he can't make it unless you are aware of hard things in your life and that God has purpose in those things. Now, I can become paralyzed as I sort out the things that cause this problem, the sufferings, and I can focus on those and become no good to myself or to others. Or I can begin to work through in his purpose. So it goes on and says, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So there you have it in a nutshell. God has a reason. Is that a surprise to you? Haven't you thought sometimes, what is God thinking? Why does he allow this to go on? I would have stopped it way sooner. I, <laughs> I think of the times he's gotten my attention with a two-by-four. And uh, occasionally he's hit me two or three times with the same two-by-four. <laughs> and it's because I don't pay attention the first time. But more than that, the learning thing isn't to know what he wants me to do. It's actually to do it. We know that God hears us. The word for hear isn't just, okay, I'm now aware of what you're saying. That word, in the language that God has given to us to read, also indicates, if I hear, it means I do. If I hear you, it means I'm on it. I'm acting on it. And he wants us to hear in the same fashion. And that's part of what's going on in that particular passage. Well, suffering has value. Um, It's there, and you can put that slide up on the screen if you'd like to. Uh, Suffering has value. And there's a passage that helps us with that. It's from Job. And if you know the story of Job, you know he knew what suffering was about. You can read that book if you'd like in, in Scripture, in the Old Testament. Job lost his family, his friends, ended up with a lot of boils, etc. It just goes on and on and on and on. And he knew what suffering was like. Here's his statement. Look at that in Job chapter 23, verse 10. But he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. How many of you like tests? Just raise your hand. I, I asked this last service, and I, I talked later, and I said, uh, I said to Rob, why didn't you at least, why, at least you raise your hand? And he said, no, I don't like tests. And he said, I would have raised it, though, just so there was one person. Didn't like testing. I like learning. I was taught by a guy in seminary uh, that we named Round Bob. And it wasn't because of his weight. It was because he had no sharp edges. He He was just round. Walked into class on the first day 
We sit down and we start paying attention. He says, you all have A's. And we said, what? You know, what do you mean by that? And hands went up all over the place. And they started asking questions. What do you mean an A? And he said, you've got an A. And he said, what if I don't show up at class? You've got an A. What if I don't uh, do well on any of the tests? You've got an A. What if I don't turn in the homework? You've got an A. What, what is that about? It's called grace. God's grace. It's what he has provided, not what I have done. Round Bob was trying to teach us something. We still didn't realize it until we got to the end of the course, got our grades, and we all had A's. Most amazing. You want to sign up for that course, don't you? And I, I would go through it again just to help my average. Um, suffering has value. A person's character is the sum of his or her disposition, thoughts, intentions, desires, and actions. Perseverance results in these things. It results in the development of character. Hope, in the Old Testament, is the Hebrew word that uh, means confidence and security. It's not the only word uh, that, uh, that means hope, but it's the, it's the predominant one, particularly among the prophets. Confidence and security. You know what's interesting, though, about that particular word? It has no doubt attached to it whatsoever. There's no doubt to it. It's just hope, period. It's confidence. No doubts. The word for hope in the New Testament, uh, a confident expectation. And again, with these particular Greek words, it just means it's going to be. There is no doubt. There's no doubt about it. Doubt doesn't come. My friend Oz Guinness has said that uh, doubt unresolved leads to unbelief. So doubts not worked through have a problem. Why does God put you in situations in which you have doubts? So you'll examine and understand where he's coming from in the particular situation in which you have found yourself. You might call that situation suffering. It's plentiful. It's out there. And you'll have plenty of opportunity uh, to do exactly that. There's no doubt about it. Hebrews chapter 11, uh, verse 1, it, it really speaks about our faith being founded on, on the rock, literally, of our salvation, on, on the, uh, Jesus Christ himself. And take a look at this passage. There's a lot of scripture here, and I hope you'll uh, follow me with that. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for, and assurance about what we do not see. How can we have hope or be assured in something that we can't see? If it's not in our hands, then it's not, right? We have to have it right here, or we just don't think it's the case. Boy, that's not the way you live your life. You flip a light switch on the wall, right? And expect the light to come on. You walk over there in faith. 
Maybe it comes on, maybe it doesn't, huh? But it usually comes on. There's so many other things in which we use faith. You climb up the um, steps on, onto a plane and, and uh, uh, you don't normally turn left into the cockpit. You turn right and go in and find a seat. At that point, do you think, huh, I wonder if that pilot is drunk. I wonder if he's capable. I wonder if he has a license. I wonder if he has... That doesn't enter your mind necessarily. You just climb on, you just go. You go to your pharmacy and you say, I'd like this and this. And they, they look it up and they provide it for you. How many of you have asked them, what are your credentials? How do I know that what you're giving me is what is really happening? We use this all the time. That's what I'm trying to tell you. All the time in our lives. It's not an unusual thing that in hope, hope can be confident even though we don't have it in our hands. Faith involves intellectual assent to a set of facts and trust in those facts. In other words, what Jesus Christ has done for us, his life, his death, his resurrection, his coming again, what Jesus Christ has done is factual. That's why we spent some time around Easter talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and how it's based in history. No historian denies, well, very few, if any at all, deny that Jesus Christ was an important individual in history. Was. There. Absolutely. They don't believe what he said, necessarily. They struggle with what he did. And this whole thing about the resurrection? Man, that's a stumbling block for so many people that don't believe. Something has to change in a person's life. For them to understand Scripture to the point that they'll actually begin to apply it in their lives. The factual evidence that we have of the resurrection is, is amazing. And you can study that on your own. And I'd urge you to do that. Paul said, if the resurrection didn't happen, we're the most miserable of all people. Because we're not only believing a lie, but we're missing out on all the fun things that people do in life. I think he had a Baptist background. <laughs> Hope is the earnest anticipation that comes with believing something positive or good. There's a passage in Romans chapter uh, 8, verses 23 and 24 uh, that we can look at. Uh, and, and it speaks to this whole issue. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? We wait eagerly. We groan, but we wait eagerly. That word means it's a continual process. Uh, we also read in, in Romans that 
All of creation groans. It's waiting for the creator to restore things to normalcy. Well, we need to be restored as well. Paul again writes um, that at one point we will be changed from mortal to immortal, from corruptible to incorruptible. Mortality is, is who and what we are. That's what we feel right now. That's in our possession. That's us. And you don't feel immortal at this point, but God promises that change. Again, it's based on what he has done, what he is doing, and consequently what he will do. And change from corruptible to incorruptible. The corruptible part we know about. Old people. We know about it. I've been shrinking. I shrunk an inch this last year. I, and You know, my clothes still fit, of course, because you also expand. But <laughs> this is a problem for us to believe and understand. Believing something positive, good. Faith is grounded um, in the reality of the past. Hope is looking to the reality of the future. Titus speaks about that. We have uh, the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. We have this. It's literally our present possession as a believer. It's here. It's here right now. Now, that's in the middle of the suffering or the fears that we have that produce suffering. Are your fears real? Absolutely. I mean, the stuff that makes you afraid, that's real stuff. It's out there. The Bible never asks us to deny any of that. It forces us to think about the reality of there needs to be a change that takes place. Now, who's going to provide that? If it's up to me, I can barely change some of my situations a little bit much less the world situation. We cry the blues about, hey, I wonder if my vote will even count. And you know, it may or it may not. I have no idea if it will or it won't. That's one of our fears, though. Well, I bet people will think that it won't count, so they won't vote. And then they, you know, and you get paralyzed over that and begin to think about that and argue about that and we cry the blues about the political situation because of those kinds of things. Faith is grounded in the reality of the past. It really has taken place. Hope is looking towards the reality of the future. So, a biblical hope is a reality and not a feeling. There's a passage in John chapter 6, verse 47. He who believes on me has everlasting life. It's a present possession, and it goes on. When God has promised you and given you eternal life, it means that it's eternal. It's not going to leave. It can't be taken away. Otherwise, it wouldn't be eternal. Only God could do that. We can't gain that ourselves. It's God's Spirit at work within us that will convince us that what he has told us is 
truth that we can actually depend on and live with in the middle of the things that are hard. I watched my parents grow old. And uh, about the same time that they, their health started downhill is about the same time that my health started downhill as I've gotten older. You know, and you're thinking when you're young, I, and by young, I'm, I'm talking about 40 or 50 years of age. Okay. And you, you understand what I'm saying if you're older than that at this point. Um, all of this begins to come down and surround you. We're not used to that in the United States. We're used to getting what we want when we want it. It's, it's a pretty amazing thing that that is the case. It's not always true, obviously, but way more so than any other place in the world that I know of. And when that doesn't uh, begin to happen quite as rapidly, we begin to worry. It affects our mental health. <laughs> Valium. Pharmacies run out of that stuff. And there's loads of other preparations that you can take now to ease your anxiety and your worry. Most of those problems come from real problems, real things that are happening. Most of our anxiety, most of our fear, real things, again. But God is interested in us Relaxing in Him, resting in Him, finding our rest in Him. So, biblical hope is a reality and it's not a feeling. He who believes on me already has eternal life. Uh, reality is, is based on God's Word, His character, the finished work of Jesus Christ as well. There's a passage in Jeremiah chapter 29 that I think you've heard and, and, and perhaps read. For I know the plans I have for you. You remember that passage? It's on t-shirts all over the place. Declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Now there have been a lot of preachers around the world today that are quoting that passage and saying, God wants you healthy and wealthy he wants you to have everything. And if you don't, you, you've got some problem. It's your fault that you don't have it. That's not what this passage means. This passage wasn't even written to us. This passage was written to the nation of Israel who was facing 70 years of captivity in Babylon. A crazy place to go and live. Not safe. Certainly not conducive to mental health either. But here he says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And what he's talking about is that we're living in his hand. As a matter of fact, Jesus says it's this way. He says, I have you in my hand and the Father has my hand in his. And I've oftentimes asked the question, well, that should be a pretty safe place. I mean, pretty nice hand. 
but they're big hands. There's a lot that takes place in those hands. All of the situations and circumstances which produce fear in our lives take place, all those circumstances take place in his hands. But you're in there and he says, I know you. And I will produce safety in your life. Is he talking about safety from my physical body? Not necessarily. Although oftentimes he takes care of that too. But he's really talking about who we really are. We're more than the circumstances around us. More than how our parents raised us. We are spiritual beings. And for me to think about that and begin to trust it is something that I have to get used to. All I've been used to since I was, you know, born, literally, is this, this fleshly existence. You know, am I here today? You know, we pinch ourselves to see if we're awake or not. We trust in our bodies. It's the first thing we do in the morning. We go and look in the mirror. We call it brushing our teeth. But really, we're looking at ourselves in the mirror. And God wants us to know that he has who we are in his hands. He provides us a hope. And that's the hope that he's talking about. And we know that uh, these passages in the Old Testament have, have one meaning, but they have many applications. And one of the applications is paralleled in the New Testament in Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39. Now, this is a rather long passage. So I'm going to read it, and I'd like for you to follow along. It has great import for us. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies, who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers at all, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Is anything that you're facing that we would consider to be suffering, and that might be on a daily basis for most of us, actually, can any of it separate you from your relationship with the Lord? No. But boy, it listed all the things that are taking place in the world today, right? Uh, almost everything. This was written a long time ago, 2,000 some odd years ago. Famine. 
It just goes on, doesn't it? And we face that on the basis of, well, why is that passage there? It's to provide hope. And it's in hope we can live and find our life and our being. The cure for fear, don't forget to remember, that's the one that was given to the nation of Israel. They were led out, spent 40 years, and they started complaining. And they were charged by Moses, don't forget to remember what God has done because it means he is going to keep on doing what he has done. If he's capable of doing it then, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he's not, the universe is in trouble. But he is. Choose to praise the Lord. There's a passage in Psalm 56, verse 3, that we'll close with. Um, When I'm afraid, what should I do? What should I do? I put my trust in you. We're also told in the New Testament to fix your eyes on Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of your faith. Fix your eyes there. I sometimes use this illustration about dieting. I don't know if any of you have done this yo-yo business of dieting and gaining it back and dieting and gaining it back. Some of you are are experienced with that. Um, And I've always known something, that counting calories will not help me lose weight. Because when I count calories, I'm talking about what produces those calories, and then I start thinking that that's what I want. It just doesn't help. I have to kind of displace the, displace the problem somehow. In other words, I have to push something in place of it as well. I remember when I was uh, uh, changing a transmission in, in, uh, in the old truck I had, my daughter, uh, my oldest daughter was un- under there handing me wrenches and getting all oily and everything. And, uh, man, we forgot about lunch. I never forget about lunch. But I forgot about lunch. The thought was displaced by some activity that was there. What do you think can displace your fear? Well, fix your eyes on Jesus and begin to be involved in what he asks for us to do. Some people have asked me, well, what do you think God's will is for my life? And I'm not capable, of course, of telling anybody what God's will is for them. But my answer is almost 100% of the time, are you reading the Bible? And they say, well, yeah, sometimes are you doing what it says? Oh, not really. Huh. You want to displace fear? Live in God's purpose. Drown in God's purpose. Surround yourself with the things that he tells us are good and important. Perfect. Put those to work in your life, whose word I praise in God I trust and am not afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? What can the circumstances and situations around me do to me, really? 
The reality of it is, yeah, you can experience some pain. There is no doubt. But what Jesus experienced will flow over into our lives. But also the life that he provides flows over into our lives as well. Think about that this week. Fear, hope. Where should I spend my time? Let me close with prayer. Thank you, Father, for your goodness to us. Uh, Your amazing gift of (laughs) your love, safety, security, endurance, perseverance, development of character in our lives so that we can live life as you want us to live so that we can help others, comfort them as well. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.